glad I didn't have this view, seeing six water bottles. If I were y'all, I'd have been scared. <laughs> when Brother Mark announced the preaching arrangements, you should have been scared. I wouldn't start a meeting with me. But I argued with Brother Mark, and as is customary with every preaching arrangements I've ever <clears throat> suffered through, I don't carry any weight with preaching committees or my, uh, moderators at uh, meetings. I do hope you'll pray for us what time we stand before you. It's a privilege to share the stand with Brother Sonny, a privilege to be here at this meeting, and a privilege to be able to speak in the name of our Lord. I'd like to uh, use one verse as a, as a jumping off place this morning and uh, we'll spend most of our time in 1 Peter chapter 2, but the verse I'd like to jump off from is found in Luke chapter 19, and Lord willing, we're going to try to end at the same place we jumped off from. The subject's been on my mind of late, and um, asked you to pray for us. In Luke 19, the scene is that Jesus is coming in Jerusalem before his betrayal and his crucifixion. And when he comes in, he comes in in triumph. There's people in the way, there's people following him. They cut down palm trees, they take their garments and spread them in the way. And Jesus comes through riding upon a colt the foal of an ass. And as all of this commotion is going around, there's some people there that don't like it. It's Jesus' old uh, conversationalists, the Pharisees, and uh, that bunch. And they basically tell him, because they don't like this, they say, Master, you need to tell your disciples to be quiet. You need to tell them to stop doing this. And Jesus makes a statement in verse 40 of Luke 19. It's our jumping off verse. He says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, that immediately the stones would cry out. And what that tells us is that one way or another, God is going to get his glory. Now, we're going to find out, I trust, that we want and hope to be a part of that. But friends, never for a minute think that God's not going to get his glory. He is. Both in righteousness and in judgment, he is going to have his glory. So let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to belabor the context, but Peter gets to this point by reminding us of who we are and our position that we have in Christ. And as he opens chapter 2, he tells us what our duty is as a relation to that, that we're supposed to lay aside all filthiness, lay aside all bitterness, all malice, all guile, put it all to the side. And as newborn babes, we're supposed to desire the sincere milk of the word. Verse 4, he says, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, he says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, that ye should offer up sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. These verses, I think, go hand in hand with what we talked about or mentioned in Luke 19, that there is a sense in which what was happening in Luke 19 is exactly what Jesus said would happen if those people didn't do what they were doing. Because in this passage, we are compared to stones. We're compared to stones in a way that has certain marks associated with it. Stones that look a certain way, act a certain way. There's a, a behavior entailed with this. And we're going to find out how this behavior should be. And I'd like to focus on verse 5, but draw in from verse 4 and verse 6 as we go along. Notice what Peter says. He says, these are lively stones. And a lively stone has some identifying marks about it. 
and it's the way something should look. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, what does a lively stone look like? What would be your answer? How would you define that? How would you reference that? Is a lively stone somebody who's gushy-wushy all the time, smiles and happy and dancing a jig everywhere they go? I don't think so. Is a lively stone someone who says amen every time the preacher says God is good? I don't think so. Now, I'm not saying these things are bad, but I don't think that's the definition of a lively stone. The very first definition of a lively stone is to look at what it's made of. We're called stones. What is he called in verse 4? What is he called in verse 6? He's called a stone. That means that we, to be lively stones, must utilize the very same substance of what he is. And we have access to that because Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. Now, I just told you something I don't understand because I don't know how you talk about the essence of what God is. I mean, the Bible says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What is that? I don't know. I mean, what is a spirit made of? I don't know. I know this. God is uncreated. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. From the beginning of time to the ancient, uh, from the ancient of days to the things that are not yet come, He has always been God. How do you reference what God is made of? All we're told is it's a divine nature. And that very same substance resides within us. Because when God takes us and He regenerates us and we're born again of His Spirit... We have something inside of us, and if you allow me to say it this way, is divine in the same way that God is. Because God inspired Paul to write that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if we're to be lively stones, we have to be utilizing something that God has given unto us, something that we couldn't get ourselves, and that's the new man. That's why Paul said in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 to put off the old man with the corruption and lust thereof, and to put on the new man which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. To be a lively stone means that we are in a spiritual way utilizing a spiritual substance that God has given unto us. Because, friends, when our spirit bears witness with His spirit and it testifies that we're the children of God, God does not come and talk to us and commune with us on our terms. He doesn't do it in our way. He does it in His way. And for us to find fellowship with Him... We have to be one who is walking close with Him and in fellowship and in union with Him, utilizing what He's given unto us. And notice also that this stone that Christ is, this living stone, is one who doesn't move. The living stone doesn't move. The living stone is exactly in the right place all the time. There's an old joke about a, a couple who... When they first got married, they sat together everywhere they went. They sat together in church. They sat together in the car. They sat together at the restaurant. And they were just right there side by side. And then as time went on and children came along, Mama, like Mamas do, ended up in different places in the car taking care of children. She ended up on the other side of the table at a restaurant. They ended up not being in the same place at church because she was taking the children out. And one day, when they're very old, they're driving down the road, and she said, you know, I remember when we used to sit together everywhere we went. And without taking his eyes off the road, he said, I hadn't moved. <laughs> well, friends, when we find ourselves away from God, He hasn't moved. He's where He's always been. And for us to be lively stones, we must be where He is. You know, there's a sense in which we came here today to get next to God. You know why? Because this is God's house. If you want to be with me, one of the best ways to be with me is to come to my house. 
What's the best? One of the best ways we can be with God is to be in His house. Is to be with Him. And friends, when we are lively stones, we're utilizing the very substance that He's given unto us. The next definition of a lively stone, I just alluded to it. We're a spiritual house. You know, uh, we're staying in uh, Laurel at a, at a Airbnb, I guess is what it's called. And it's one of those old houses. And we used to live in an old house in Georgia. You know what one of the interesting things about old houses are? They talk to you. I mean, even when you're not thinking about it, they talk to you. Things creak, things moan, things go on. The house we lived in in Georgia was built in 1904. And uh, I remember the first time we had a really bad storm where a tornado was coming through and we were doing a duck and cover in the bathroom. My wife looked at me and she said, are we going to be okay? I said, well, this house has been standing since 1904. I'm going to trust it's going to last one more night. But you know, that house, even if the wind wasn't blowing, even if there was nothing going on, it talked to us. I mean, things creaked, things uh, squeaked. I mean, you know, I, my wife said she never noticed it until I went on my first preaching trip. She said, our house is loud. I said, I know. Well, friends, when you go underneath a house like that, it's been standing all that time, and you mess with the foundation, the foundation doesn't move. Those 12 by 12 floor joists were as solid as they were the day they were set. Now, when you walk on the floor, yes, it creaked. Yes, it moaned, but the foundation itself... Those pillars, those piers, and those joys, they didn't move. And friends, we may move in this life. We may creak. We may moan. The, the winds of this life may assault us. But friends, it doesn't change the fact that our foundation is still as secure as it ever has been. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about some that had forsaken the faith. They followed after Hymenaeus and Philetus had overthrown the faith of some. But lest we get the wrong impression, uh, Paul says this in uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 19. He says, Nevertheless... The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Now I'll get to the rest of that verse in a minute, Lord willing, but notice what Paul says. No matter what happens, no matter what false teaching goes on, no matter what's happening in Washington, no matter what happens in our lives, whether it's cancer, whether it's the loss of loved one, no matter what situation we face, our house may creak, our house may moan, the winds of life will assault against it. But friends, the rock never moves. Amen. And because the rock never moves, because it's been laid in Zion as a chief cornerstone, we can have uh, strength and consolation in this world that is a lively stone. My life may be getting worse, naturally speaking. As John said, he must increase and I must decrease. That may be the case. It may be the case that as I get older, my mind's going to leave me. It may be the case as I get older, all those things that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 12, I'm going to face those things. But friends... It doesn't change the fact that one day when you are staring at my remains, the Spirit has gone back to God which gave it. It doesn't change the fact, friends, that God is going to get that which is His. And friends, even if you bury my remains, and even if they stay in the ground 10,000 years, He's going to get that too. Because it belongs to Him. That's why, friends, we can have hope in this world that no matter what is going on, it's going to be all right. You know, there's a verse that I have to <clears throat> keep in the forefront of my mind on a regular basis because I fail in both aspects of it. It's John 16 and 33. You know, when I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a bad day, sometimes I look and I say, where did this come from? How did this happen? You know what Jesus promised? In this world, ye shall have tribulation not a might. It's not a maybe. It's not a could be. You're going to. 
And yet sometimes I stand there and go, how is this happening? Friends, we're broken creatures in a broken world. And when I have that thought, how is this happening? It keeps me from thinking about the next part. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We're living in a year this year that I, I dread every four years. You know why I dread it? Because as the year goes on, there's only going to be one subject that anybody can talk about. And it ain't God. It's going to be something that's happening in Washington. Friends, may I submit to you this? If the person you want to win wins, doesn't make life okay. And if the person you don't want to win wins, doesn't mean life is bad. And the reason is, is because God is still on His throne. And even if it's an evil, wicked person, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he can turn it whithersoever he will as rivers of water. Don't focus on that this year. Don't focus on pain this year. Don't focus on problems this year. And I'm talking to myself. Because friends, no matter how the creaking and the moaning of this old house gets, no matter how bad things look for the church, no matter how much spirituality seems to be on the decline, be of good cheer. Why? Because He has overcome the world. And a lively stone is one who understands that. Because as a spiritual house, while we creak, while we moan, while tornadoes come through, friends, the foundation is still there. The very best definition I have of lively is jubilant. Now, jubilant does not mean, friends, again, that you're just, you know, gushy all the time. I mean, you can look at me and know that I'm not a gushy type of person. My wife says I'm more quick to criticize than I am to compliment, and she's probably right. But friends, somebody who's jubilant is not somebody who's just happy all the time, someone who's just dancing all the time. Somebody who is jubilant is somebody who understands that there is a victory that's been had. A lively stone is somebody who understands that there is a victory that has been had. That's why he says that he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He's quoting Isaiah 28 and verse 16. It says, he that believeth on him shall not make haste. Those two expressions basically mean confused, anxious, afraid, fearful. Whenever I'm fearful, whenever I'm anxious, whenever I'm afraid, whenever I'm confused, it's because I have gotten away from the living stone. Because friends, when you're by the living stone, you may not have all the answers, but he does. You may not have all the wisdom, but He does. You may not have all the power, but He does. You may not have any riches, but He does. And friends, when you're next to Him, you see how rich we are in Him, you see how wise we are with Him, and how powerful and strong we are because of Him. Because of that, friends, a lively stone is one who is jubilant because they understand that Christ has won the victory. Now, I said all that, and I'm about to sound like I'm going to contradict myself, but I'm not. Just because you're not gushy, just because you're not you know, overly emotional. I'll say this. Nobody should be next to Christ and look like they've got a liver problem, okay? Nobody should be next to Christ thinking and they look like they have an impacted molar. I've been in church and I've been preaching to people and they look like they were in the most miserable place in all the world. Friends, the church is the best place in all the world because it's heaven until we get to heaven. It's home until we go home. It's the family until we're with the entire family. 
And how somebody can come to the house of God and be unhappy is beyond me. And it may be that something was done 20 years ago. It may be that so-and-so didn't shake your hand last week. But friends, all of that pales in comparison to the fact that this is the place where God comes down. This is the place where God meets with His people. This is the place where on eagle's wings we soar and sin and sense seem all no more and heaven comes down our souls to greet and glory crowns the mercy seat. Friends, this spiritual house is one where God meets with His people. And where we can stand and sit together with God. It's also a place where a lively stone is described as a holy priesthood. Now this is an interesting one to me. And the reason it's interesting is because we many times in our own thinking, for one reason or another, think we don't have anything to give. I've talked to young people who said, I'm just too young. I don't know anything. And I've talked to old people who said, I'm just so old I'm washed up and I don't have anything. Friends, old or young, rich or poor, male, female, it doesn't matter. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Do you have life? Can you move? If so, God has sacrifice worthy to be offered unto Him. You say, well, I just don't have a whole lot. doesn't matter. I don't have many talents. doesn't matter. You know, the man who got five talents and made five talents more got the same commendation as the man who had two and made two. That means that that guy had four at the end and had less than that first guy started with, and I'm convinced that the guy who had one had made one more. He'd have got the same commendation. I'm convinced of that. And whether you feel like you don't know a whole lot, whether you feel like you can't do a whole lot, I can tell you this, the effectual fervent prayer of one righteous person makes a world of difference. And if all you can do is pray, Lord help! Friends, that is a holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. Now, there's times that I don't feel holy. There's times I don't feel acceptable. There's times, friends, when I look at me, and I know that I know me better than you know me, but friends, thank God He knows me better than I know me, and He still loves me. But there's times that I look at me, and I'll give you a little insight into preachers. Real preachers don't prepare sermons. Real preachers repair sermons. Real preachers don't construct sermons. Real preachers deconstruct sermons. If you want to know how a real preacher thinks about, for the rest of the day, after he preaches, he says, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? Why did I waste so much time on this? Why didn't I go here and why didn't I do that? That's how we are. And then it just takes one little lamp to mention one little line that you thought was just a throwaway line to say that was exactly what I needed. We don't know that. We're not in your head. We're not reading your email. We haven't been on the phone with you. But there's one who sees all who does know that. Amen. And that's why God can look at a place like this. And I realize that on a day like this, most of us have more in the congregation than we do on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a joy to have not just one tenor, but many. <laughs> it's a joy not to have a few altos, but a whole section. And yes, if you're at a church meeting, there's a whole preacher base section. That just goes without saying. But it's wonderful to have a situation like this. Whether it's a situation like this, or whether it's the third Sunday in June, 
Just a regular day with your home church with the people of God. There's something about that that Paul, when he describes us, or when Peter describes us as a holy priesthood to offer up its sacrifices acceptable unto God by Jesus Christ, Paul puts a point on it in Romans 12. In Romans 12, he says, starting in verse 1, he says, Wherefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. Notice what Paul said is a holy and acceptable sacrifice to Jesus Christ. It's your body. You know what he said in chapter 7 of Romans? In about verse 25, it says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In chapter 7, he called it a wretched man and a body of death. In chapter 12, he called it a holy and acceptable sacrifice. How do you reconcile that? You reconcile it this way. In, in me, Paul says, that is in my flesh, there doesn't dwell any good thing. But friends, my spirit, which is holy and righteous before God, cannot get here by itself. Paul says in Romans 8 and about verse 25 that this, uh, the creature was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. I don't hear this much anymore, thank God. And I don't ever want to hear this anymore if I can get away with it. But, you know, <clears throat> before the days of cell phones and texting, and because I don't do any of that, my wife is the one who gets the text. And, hey, we're not going to be at church. Hey, we're not going to be there. We're over here doing this. Back before all that, people would say, hey, preacher, I won't be with you next Sunday, but I'll be with you in spirit. And I've been tempted many times to say, well, you know what? The following Sunday, I'm not going to be there either. But I'll be with you in spirit. By the way, let me know how my spirit preaches. It doesn't work like that. For your spirit to be here, your body must be here. Amen. And you know what a priest is given authority to do? A priest is given authority to execute offerings and sacrifices before God. You've been given authority as a holy priesthood to execute sacrifice and offering before God. Now, friends, there wasn't a single animal in the Old Testament that put away sin. No matter how unspotted or unblemished they were, they didn't put away sin. And your body is never going to put away sin. But, you know, God was pleased with those animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. He commanded it to be done. They did it, and he was pleased. And while our body is nothing to be praised, friends, when we crucify the old man, when we mortify the deeds of the flesh, when we take the lust, the affections of our flesh, and we put them down, and we exalt the things of God by His Spirit, these very bodies of death are looked in His sight as holy and acceptable and a reasonable sacrifice unto Him. Now, if that doesn't wow you, I'm about to, because Paul will go a step further in Hebrews 13 by talking about these sacrifices, by talking about these offerings, and he talks about that we have an altar. This is Hebrews 13, about verse 10. He says, we have an altar where they had no right to eat of which served at Moses, in Moses' tabernacle. There was a, as there's a sense in which we have something today that they never could have had. And the reason we have it is because Jesus Christ has come and because Jesus Christ has done. And because of that, Paul says, let us therefore go unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, offering up the sacrifice of praise of our lips, the thanksgiving of our heart for with such sacrifices and offerings God is well pleased 
That is an expression that God is very stingy with. There are a lot of things in Scripture that it says God is pleased with. But you read through Scripture, and you check me out on this. He doesn't say well pleased very often. That's important, friends. Because God doesn't waste words. There's times when somebody who gushes over everything gets to a point where you think, well, they compliment him. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Friends, when God uses a term like well-pleased, it's very specific. And most of the time in Scripture, it's in relation to His Son. When He came out of the water of the Jordan River, the voice thundered from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well-pleased. When He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, talking with Moses and Elijah, and Peter opened his mouth like he so often did, the voice came from the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. That tells me, friends, that when our sacrifices and our offerings, the praise of our lips and the thanksgiving of our heart, lead us into the waters of baptism, with those sacrifices and those offerings, God is well pleased. When it leads us into the mountain to behold the glory of God, to hear him talk of his decease, which he should accomplish in Jerusalem, and we listen to him, With that sacrifice and with that offering, God is well pleased. I don't know how you felt this morning when you came over here. I don't know how you felt this week leading into this weekend. But I can assure you this, friends, if we've come to the mountain of holiness, if we've come up into Zion in our life, and we've met with the Lord, and the cloud has come down and overshadowed us, and we're listening for His voice, I can tell you, friends, with that, God is well pleased. Which means the very thing that we're doing The very exercise that we're going through is of the very same quantity and quality of pleasure in God's eyes as Jesus Christ Himself. I already alluded to it once that in us is Christ in you the hope of glory. And when God looks down at a scene like this and He sees all of our hearts lifted up, what does He see but a bunch of His faces of His Son staring back at Him? And when His face stares back at Him, I tell you, friends, He is well pleased with that. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I think. If I've come and done what God has commanded us to do, friends, God is well pleased with this. Don't ever let the world tell you that this spiritual house and that this holy priesthood is old. It's out of date. It's not worth our time. It's not worth our effort. This is the very best thing that we can be doing in our lives. And friends, that's not glorifying the church. That's glorifying God who still stands with His church. I get so sick and tired, and allow me just a few minutes about this, I get so sick and tired of people talking about the church and running her down like she's got all these problems. I know she has problems. She's full of people like me. But friends, His church as He put her in this world is as a bride adorned for her husband. And you can attack me, and I'm probably one of the most offendable people, offensible people in this world. My oldest friends tell me that I'm one of the most unintentionally offensive people they've ever met. And one of the reasons for that is I'm one of the least offendable people you'll ever meet. I just don't get riled up about a whole lot. And you can tell me I'm an idiot, and I'll say whatever. You can tell me I don't like you, and I'll say whatever. But if you tell me you don't like my wife, and you tell me that my bride has problems, You better watch out because your nose is coming off your face. I don't say that as a threat. It's a reality, friends. And how do you think God feels about His bride? He thought enough of her that He came into this world and died for her. The church has been bought by the very precious blood of Jesus Christ Himself. 
Friends, He holds His church in high esteem. He holds it in high regard. And friends, I don't understand how people can talk about us idolizing the church. If you uphold the church, you know what you're doing? You're upholding God. Because for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined into his wife, and they too, they twain, shall be what? Shall be one flesh. Friends, if I uphold the bride, I'm upholding the husband. If I uphold the church, I'm upholding her creator and her founder. And friends, God looks at places like this. And friends, if you made it to Springer, Mississippi, you were either looking for this place or you're very lost because there's no other way to get here. But I'm going to trust that if you're here this morning, you were looking for it. And friends, if we've come in, we've gone up with him. He's well pleased with that. Which is why, friends, when I'm in a place like this, I'm not confused. I'm not afraid. I'm not anxious. But you give me a few moments out in this world and those things come creeping back in. That's why a little dab won't do you here. I mean, people that go to church three times a year on Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day, I don't get it. I really don't. I miss one Sunday and I feel like something is very missing in my life. But getting back very quickly to the verse we started in. I believe on that day the stones were crying out. They were lively stones. You know why they were jubilant? Because their king was coming in. As Scripture said, he might have been meek and lowly, but he was just and having salvation. They cried Hosanna to the king. Now they may have been a little misguided about what he was going to do in a few days, but friends, on that day, they were jubilant. I hope we're not misguided on what he did. I hope we're not misguided on what he is doing. And I sure hope to God we're not misguided on what he's going to do. But friends, if we'll line up to meet him, and when he comes through, if we'll follow him, and we'll take ourselves off and lay it down at his feet, and cut off the glory of the palm in our life and lay it down at his feet, and say, there's my king. I'm going to tell you something, friends. Stones are crying out. I hope they cry out this weekend. I hope they ring and make the heavenly arches ring. Because friends, I can tell you this. I believe Scripture proves this, and I don't have time to do it, but if you want to know, we'll talk at lunch. I believe all of us have a guardian angel. I believe Scripture proves that. Which means that every one of our angels are here right now. And you know, they're perched wherever they are. Whether it's in the corners of the roof or right here beside me, and I can't see them. And we're talking about things that they want to look into. That they want to know. Because they see this. They see how frail we are. How broken we are. And friends, they've seen Him in all of His glory. They know what He's due. They know what His glory is worth. They've seen it. And they look at this. And then that sound comes as their master comes by them right into the midst of this place. And they wonder, why would he come down? What is it about this that is so special to him? It's because there are stones that he has gathered in his hand. There are stones that he holds on to. And friends, while we're here in this world, may we ring out his glory. He's going to get it one way or the other. But friends, I want him to get it from me. 
I know His church is going to be here as long as the earth stands. Brother Mark read it this morning. To Him be glory in the church throughout all ages. That means His church is always going to be here. World without end. Amen. Amen. But friends, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to tell you this. I hope when He comes back, there's a church in Stringer, Mississippi. Amen. I hope there's a church in McMahon, Texas. I hope there's a church, friends, in all the places that I've been, places that I've loved. Yes, the church I was originally baptized into, it's disbanded now. It doesn't exist anymore. And friends, that happens. But I can tell you this. I don't believe it will happen when stones are crying out. I don't believe the Lord is going to let a place go away when His stones are ringing forth His praise, honor, and glory. I want it to be found with me. I want it to be found with you. And if we're standing on this earth, when He parts the sky, may the day He parts that sky be in accord with me offering up the sacrifice of praise in my lips the thanksgiving in my heart. Because friends, I'm going to be with Him in the clouds one way or the other. But if it's all right with you, I'd just as soon be praising Him when He came back. I'd just as soon be in the house of God when He comes back. I don't get that choice, but I'd just as soon it be that way. Because I'd love to go from a meeting here to the best meeting there. I'd love to go from good preaching here to the best preaching there. And it won't be done by me or anybody else here. It'll be done by Him. And I'd love to go from the most beautiful harmony I've ever heard on earth to the perfect harmony of heaven. As our voices join one with another in a new song that never grows old, that never fades away, saying, Thou art worthy to redeem us unto God by Thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Lord, bless you.